0: I will speak to you in the name of the living God, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. As fun as that was just a few minutes ago, this week has been a tough week. It's been tough for me personally, and I know it's been tough for many of you. Tough, I think, because it's been filled with moments that are never easy, and that do not come around often enough for any of us really to be fully prepared when they do arrive. For me and for all of us here at the church, the first tough moment began on Tuesday night during our vestry meeting, followed on Wednesday morning by the letter that was sent out to all of you announcing my decision to answer a new call and to step away from being your pastor, your priest, and your rector. Now, for a healthy, growing parish, which is what all saints is today, those kinds of letters should only happen occasionally. That's because in healthy, growing parishes, a rector comes into a church and falls in love with it and falls in love with the work that God sits before him and or her and God's people to do. And that's precisely because of that deep love and good work that makes a priest want to settle in and to put down roots and stay for a while. That has absolutely been my story during my time with all of you. And it's been a love and a blessing that has sustained itself for now nearly 10 years. And even though everyone in a church understands and may even expect their good clergy to one day be called by God to go build up God's kingdom in a new place, it doesn't change the fact that when that moment arrives for both priest and for church, it isn't easy. And none of us are ever fully prepared for it. That's just how God works, usually on God's time and hardly ever on ours. That was certainly enough to make this a tough week for all of us here in the church. But in addition to what was going on here with us at All Saints, there was also something else happening in our diocese, something that hasn't happened here in nearly 20 years, the beginning of the ending of one bishop's leadership and the election of a new one to take over that bishop's position. Actually, as I'm sure most of you know, that election did happen once earlier this year, but because of serious objections based upon irregularities and mistakes within procedures and canons, Of that first election, a second election had to be reworked and rescheduled. Yesterday was that day set by the diocese for the second special convention. And this time around, I can assure you, every procedural I was dotted and every canonical T was crossed. And at the end of yesterday, for the second time, the diocese of Florida elected the Reverend Charlie Holt, to follow Bishop John Howard's retirement in September of 2023 and become the next bishop of Florida. But believe me when I tell you, yesterday's election was not at all smooth or easy, and there was little you could say about yesterday's election being joyous. It was palpable from the moment it started as was already well expected, that there were people in our diocese, both lay and clergy, who were disappointed the second convention was taking place and were disheartened that the diocese was moving forward with this second election. For these, our fellow brothers and sisters, there was a strong feeling that division had bubbled to the surface following that first special convention and that it needed more time for us to work it out and amend it and that some form of reunification was essential before the election of a new bishop should proceed. And, as is often the case, their disappointment yesterday led to frustration from others during the convention, leading to a tenseness at Camp Weed that at times felt to me a bit too much, like the political divide we're experiencing in our own country, rather than the love, the unity, and the charity we proclaim and try to live into as part of the church. When I drove away from what could possibly be the last time that I will stand on that holy ground that is this diocese camp and conference center, rather than simply having a sense that regardless of who I voted for, God's will would have to be done, and the diocese would now trust the Holy Spirit to lead us forward, I suspect that like many other delegates, I left with the strong sense of foreboding of what will certainly be another move that will be made on the chessboard. So again, this week was without question a very tough one for all of us here in this church. And yet this morning we come to that moment on the church calendar that is always meant to provide us again with the answer we as Christians are meant to cling to no matter how tough the crashing waves and unexpected developments of life become for us as people? That answer is, of course, Jesus. And today is what our Roman Catholic sisters and brothers have proclaimed, the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, and what we Anglicans and Episcopalians simply call Christ the King Sunday. It is in place after all the stories that we've been moving through over the course of this last church year, from Christ coming into the world, to his birth in a manger, to all his teachings, all of his miracles, to his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead and the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. On our final Sunday after that Pentecost experience, this Sunday is here to proclaim one thing, Christ's kingship. To remind the church again who Jesus ultimately is for us and for the world and where Jesus is required to be for us in every facet of our lives if we are to be his disciples. Now, I've said many times on many a Christ the King Sunday of our past together that the farther we Americans get from the year of our Lord 17 and 76, the less understandable the image of Jesus as a king becomes for us. For us today, in too many stories we read, and too many television shows or movies we watch, kings tend to be something completely different. Failing tyrants of storybook ages past. Maybe we get a King Arthur from time to time, but more often we get a Henry VIII or an Ivan the Terrible or Queen Circe of King's Landing, for those of you who watch Game of Thrones. To say that Jesus is meant to be our king today in the 21st century brings into our minds distasteful images for us Americans of people bowing or curtsying before some old man on a throne holding a scepter in one hand and a golden globe in the other. As much as we might have found ourselves getting up early to watch the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II last month, and let me just tell you, I was one of those people, The monarchs left today are nothing, thanks be to God, like the authoritarian overlords of ancient times, when kings and queens were total sovereigns, crowned by God, possessing all the force and power the world could provide. And yet on this day of all days in our church, this can seem to be the very image that we are trying to apply to Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace and the Good Shepherd of his sheep. That is, I think, until we read again, our gospel reading assigned for us on this particular Christ the King Sunday. The gospel's passion stories, a portion of which we read just a few minutes ago from Luke's gospel, are in place to arrest us and to remove our understanding of earthly kingship when it comes to the heavenly king of the universe. For the Lord Jesus Christ is a king who is nailed to a cross, insulted and ridiculed and laughed at by religious leaders and Roman soldiers, and even this morning two criminals sentenced to die with him on that dark day, themselves hanging off of crosses erected on either side of Jesus. In the turmoil and the pain of Calvary's hill that first Good Friday, the world overrun by sin and evil, throws all of its derision at Jesus for exactly not being the kind of earthly king they expected in a Jewish Messiah. Luke's gospel tells us the leaders scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And one of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding Jesus and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. Brothers and sisters, this is the king the people of Israel were expecting. And in their own moment of despair and trouble under Roman occupation, this is the kind of king they wanted to see. And I have to be honest with you this morning, when times get tough for me and when times are hard and unexpected for all of us, as we've seen this past week, isn't that the kind of king we'd like to have too? Some kind of great king who can ride in on a white horse and make everything in those tough moments of our life ride again. Someone who can come down and make that car physically move out of the parking spot you know is rightfully yours. A king who will right the wrongs of procedures. A king who will right the wrongs in elections with one foul swoop. A king who will step in and stop something from happening too quickly or too unexpectedly or too painfully. I know I've wanted to say to Jesus several times this past week, Lord, if you're the king of the universe, and I know you are, then can't you just save us? Can't you just save me? Can't you just save this person? But when I reread Paul's amazing first chapter to the Colossians, I realize that I myself have fallen into that same trap of earthly power and worldly kingship. I've fallen into it, and then I've tried to turn around and apply what I want on to Jesus. Paul gives us, I think, a very different understanding of God's plan that doesn't take us to castles or the great seats of power and wealth, but forces us right back to the cross that stands on Calvary's hill. Paul writes, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, our Savior, is the kind of King who doesn't need to rush in on a chariot and smite our troubles. Because Jesus Christ, our King, is the kind of King who from the very beginning has been working and in place to do something far more important and far greater. Christ, our King, is the King of the universe who loves His people so much He allows himself to be nailed to the cross to take all of our mistakes, all of our failures, all of our bad decisions, all of our anger and frustration and rage upon himself and free us from it and rescue us once and for all from the power that it is, which is darkness and sin. Jesus is king because Jesus did that for you and he did it for me. To make peace for all of us through the blood of his cross. This is what our true king does. And it is so incredible and freeing and life-changing and world-altering. And to rest our troubles in Christ, the king is to realize in Christ all things can and will be made right again. That certainly doesn't make those troubles any less painful or harder to deal with or to get through in the moments they arrive and catch us off guard. But to draw ourselves back to Jesus in all that we face in this world is to realize that Christ our King is already leading the charge to save us and to redeem us and to ensure that as blessed Julian of Norwich said back in the time when those kings and queens still haunt our memories, the true King of the universe is already at work to ensure us that all will be well And all things will be well, and all manner of things will be well through Jesus Christ. This is where I have to stand this morning, or I would not be able to stand. And with Christ as our King, we will still stand together in hope, promise, and assurance of grace. And for that, we can all proclaim, thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.